Hey, thanks for joining us for the Celebration Church podcast. I have a quick announcement before the message starts. Starting February 16th, we're beginning our new service times at 9 a.m. and 1045. I encourage you, if you're in the area and you're looking for a church family, come join us Sunday mornings and we'll have the doors open, coffee ready, and we'll save you a seat. We'd love to have you and get to know you more personally. Well, now on to today's message. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Very nice. Are you guys excited to be up an extra half an hour early, all you late risers? Sunday late risers? You made it. You made it. We, uh, we, moved, we just moved it around a little bit, just seeing what happens. And um, it's funny, because we all get up, most of us, and we get up earlier than this during the week. But for some reason, Sunday, uh, it just feels so late. <laughs> it, feels, it feels hard. But, um, but I'm just excited to be with you today and uh, excited about this series that we're in um, on, on relationships called Love Handles. Anybody, anybody have love handles you want to share? Uh, uh, got some love, got love handles going on. Um, this, this whole series is, um, is about what I, what I believe is probably the most important thing we can talk about as a church, other than the gospel. Like, obviously, the gospel is the most important thing we can talk about, but second to that would be this, that our greatest pains come from our relationships, and really, in our culture, our relationship to relationships is one of our biggest problems that we have, and uh, it's the cause of so much struggle in, in, in our world, and uh, just in doing pastoral counseling with people, sitting down with people, it's this stuff that people are hurting for, it's relationships, and so uh, today I promise I'm going to bring um, what, I, what I believe the scripture says about uh, relationships, and I, I promise I'm not going to hold back, um, I, just, I just need you to, to be okay with it, all right? We're going we're gonna to have some fun, uh, but before it gets serious, I'm going to tell a joke. Um, no, I'm not going to tell a joke, but, but I was, I was thinking about, um, so I, I went for Valentine's Day. Anybody else go on Valentine's with, did anybody have a Valentine date? So we got, we, we got a Valentine lunch. My wife and I went and got lunch on Valentine's Day and it was awesome. We went to Brick 29 for lunch. Woo, woo, come on. I had a seafood macaroni and cheese that I'm still dreaming about. As, as crazy as that sounds, it was amazing. And um, we had a gift card there, so I was a big spender. I spent the gift card uh, to, <laughs> to Brick 29. You know, it was either that or McDonald's. If I was using my own money, McDonald's. Um, but uh, we, had, we had a good time. Me and my, uh, my bae, we went to uh, um, Brick 29 together. Uh, it was lit. It was, uh, it was on fleek. It was, uh, it was fire. It was bomb.com. Uh, <laughs> You know what's so funny is slang, slang is hilarious because slang changes all the time. Uh, and I think what makes slang change is like the moment your parents start using the words, the moment your parents start using your words, you're like, I'm changing everything I, I say, you know, uh, like it was like on what was on fleek now is super cringe and... <laughs> And that, you know, and so it was like tea, but by tea, I don't mean like a drink. I mean that it was gossip. 
and it was salty, and by salty, I mean it was shady, and by shady, I mean it was nasty, and by nasty, I mean it was Gucci, and by Gucci, I mean it was Snatch, and by Snatch, I mean it was Ratchet. Uh, so, yeet, right? Like, that's... <laughs> It's hilarious. Like, listening to my kids talk, I, I need a dictionary just to listen to my own children talk because they don't even know English words anymore. They have this crazy things they say. Um, but real quick, I want to do like a little survey. So if you're uh, maybe like 20 years and younger and you know what I'm saying, what it means, I just want you to kind of shout out the definition because I'm going to tell you stuff that older people say and you're going to see if, if you know it today. Are you ready? <clears throat> so I'll, anybody that's younger, put it out there if you know what it is. First one is this, uh, don't have a cow. Don't freak out. There we go. Okay, I won't judge your age. I mean, you're probably younger than 20. You're beautiful. There we go. All right, here we go. Uh, what do you mean? Like, what, yoink? What's that mean? What? You take something. Come on. You took something. That, that's what it means. Yoink. Gag me with a spoon. It's disgusting. <clears throat> what does know your onions mean? It means like know your, know your facts, know your stuff, right? Uh, what does it mean to go postal? Yes. It's the cat's pajamas. That means it was fantastic. It was great. Um, what does it mean if the bank is closed? It means it. Yeah, it means the same thing as like the candy shop is closed. It's a nice way of saying no, thank you. <clears throat> no, thank you, thank you. Uh, the bank is closed. There's this other thing that, uh, that young people say. Is, uh, is they'll call people a wifey. My wifey. Anybody ever heard that? So-and-so is my wifey. Uh, it's really interesting because what they mean is that she's not their wife. That's what they mean, which is, just to me doesn't even make sense. And, and today, what I want to talk about is this idea of marriage, because really, in our culture, uh, it, it's incredible the viewpoints we have on marriage. And my goal today is to convince you uh, that marriage is probably the best choice for your relationship uh, if you're going to go long term. Um, that, that really is the biggest goal I have today. Uh, here, here's what it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 27. He says, For I did not shrink back from declaring you the whole counsel of God. That's why as a church we go through different seasons of talking about different things, different themes. Uh, because if I was to just preach whatever I wanted every Sunday, you would, you would have the same type of preaching every single Sunday. But my goal is not to just do what I enjoy. My goal is to get you well-rounded in what the Word of God says about different things. And today, uh, I, just, I just really want to talk about what the Word of God says about marriage. Somebody's like, wah, 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 wah. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, what we don't say, we don't do. What we don't explain, we don't do. What I mean is this. Like, like what one generation doesn't say to another generation, that generation doesn't do. So, for instance, what that could look like is praying for your food. Uh, so, your parents probably prayed for their food growing up. But, but if they don't explain to you why you pray for your food, then you're probably going to stop praying for your food. So, and just to clarify, why we bless our food before we pray, like, uh, my kids will pray, and, they, and they'll say something like this, like, dear, dear Jesus, bless this food and make it a nourishment to our bellies. Um, we don't really need to pray that the food would be a nourishment to our bellies. We know it's going to be, unless you're eating at McDonald's, and then probably not. Like, you can pray all you want to, not going to change a thing. 
What we're doing is we're actually blessing it or we're thanking, we're giving thanks when, when we pray before we eat. So what we're actually doing, like we're saying something more like this, like, Lord, we acknowledge that everything comes from you. And so we are thanking you for what you have given us. That's, that's what we mean when we say pray for your food. So it's not that you're praying some sort of mystical prayer that makes your food more healthy. It's that you're thanking the Lord because all things come from him. Right, And so today I want to talk about this idea of marriage, because if we don't explain what marriage is and we just assume people understand, then we don't get people in committed relationships. All right. <clears throat> I could preach about candy canes, too, if you want. Like, we can do that. <laughs> but, uh, but we're going to talk about marriage instead. Really, I, I want to see your perspective uh, change. I, I, I want you to, to have a shift in your mind. And I know that today I will probably offend someone or you'll probably feel like I'm stepping on your toes, understand that I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, but, but also understand that I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. What I am trying to do is say this, like you came to church today because you were hoping that I'd preach the word of God to you. So just be okay with that, all right? Be okay with that. Um, so, so here we go. Um, here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is, this is an incredible passage of Scripture because God, uh, God recognizes this thing in Adam. and It says he, God sees that it was not good for men to be alone. Uh, now, this is Ephesians, but it's quoting uh, what happens in Genesis 2. And, and we see God say, it's not good for men to be alone. This isn't, this isn't good. And so God says, I'm going to make him and help meet. I'm going to make him somebody that partners with him, that makes him better. And then the Bible says God parades all the animals in front of him. And this is the time when Adam names the animals, Eve's not with him. So Adam's naming all the animals. It's like God is saying, I'm going to bring someone into your life that's going to complete you. Now I'm going to bring a gazillion things in front of you that don't complete you to prove that you have a hole in your life. So Adam, Adam looks at all these animals. And at the end, it says he, he's, he's sad because he doesn't have a partner. And this is the moment when this deep, depressed, dark sleep falls on him and God takes a rib from him and, and makes him a, a partner who is Eve. He wakes up and he says, ah, oh, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It was, it was in this moment. It, it, the idea is this, is that God has a plan for our relationships and that plan uh, looks like marriage. And we see this all throughout scripture uh, that God provides a thing called marriage. <clears throat> um, in America, in the 1960s, 70% of people 18 years old and older were married. Today, Idaho, being the second highest percentage of marriage in the entire country, is sitting at 54%. That's a stark contrast when one of the leading states is only at 54% of adults are actually married. And I think the reason is because we, we have this idea that says, why do I need to get married? It doesn't make sense. It's just a piece of paper. And, and I would agree with you. Like it can sometimes be just a piece of paper, but the truth is it's more than a piece of paper. It, it, it's more than a piece of paper. The, the reason that you feel like it's just a piece of paper is because you thought marriage was just about passion and love. And if you've already got passion and you've already got love, then you're, that's the same thing as the piece of paper. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's not the same thing 
as a piece of paper. Marriage is about much more than passion and love and much more than tax breaks and, and having a combined income. Marriage has a bigger purpose than all of those things. <clears throat> Here's the Christian view on marriage. The Christian view on marriage is this, th that marriage is a long-term commitment that is made within a covenant. It's somebody making a covenant with someone else. And really the essence of marriage is not love and passion and emotion. The, the essence of marriage is commitment. And so, so like a contract is, is one thing where like a, like a contract is what we might sign when we buy a car or buy a house or maybe start a new job. And a contract's purpose is to guard our rights. So when you sell something to someone, you make them sign a contract that is a bill of sale so that, so that they can't come back and get you later if it breaks. Or, or if you sell a house or you buy a house, you want to sign a contract that gives you some sort of recourse in case uh, what they're selling you is not what they say it is. But a covenant is different than a contract. A covenant is when we, we, we're foregoing our rights. So a contract pr protects our rights. A covenant says, I, I will release my rights, my, re my rights to retaliate. That's what, that's what a covenant really is. It's, it's a saying, I'm not going to fight back. I, I'm going to surrender my rights to someone else. So, so it boils down to this. Like, like in America, we, we have this, this very consumer mentality. It, it's part of all of our lives. Uh, we don't even bake bread anymore. Like bread's the easiest thing to make. You just need flour and water and a hot oven. That's all you need. But we don't have time for that. We go buy bread in a plastic bag, right? And, and we buy like everything else in plastic containers. And then we get charged five cents per plastic bag because it's going to hurt the environment. Yeah. Right? But we, we have, this, we have this, this whole mentality. Everything we do is to buy something else. So we work our jobs not to build wealth for our families, what we do is we work our jobs so that we can buy stuff for our families. That's how we work. And this same attitude is what shows up in the way we have our relationships. We have a consumer view of relationships where basically, um, like in a grocery store, you'd be loyal to a grocery store to the extent that they help you. So I'm a loyal fan of Albertsons. Like, I'll go to Albertsons all day long. Like, it's a good store, good local company, good stuff. They've invested in the community. But if their price of milk gets too high, I'm out. I'm going to Ridley's, right? I'm going to go to Ridley's because, I, because my relationship with Albertsons is purely based on if they provide me a product that I like at a price that I agree to. The moment that changes, I'm out. And because we have this mentality as Americans, we view our relationships the exact same way. Like, like I'll be in this relationship to the degree that it benefits me. The moment it doesn't benefit me, I'm out looking for something else. We, we've got to move from a consumer marriage or a consumer relationship to this idea of a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship, like the only thing I can really use to explain it is your children. Anybody got kids? Okay, I got, I got a few people in the room that have kids. I've got kids. Um, and, and my relationship with them is not based on what I get from them. In fact, in order for me to have a relationship with them, I have to surrender my rights to have everything perfect. Perfect. 
So like, because I have kids, like, like I love them, they're good kids, but, but what, happens when, like what happens when your four-year-old boy is, is, walks out of his bed in the middle of the night and goes and pees on the bathroom door because he forgot to open it? Because I've been on the giving and receiving end of that one. And here's the deal, like, like I, I can't throw him out and be like, you're done, like you're out of here, kid, we're getting a new one, right? Like it's, he's not a consumer relationship. What you do is you get up and clean it. Like what do you do when your little daughter gets up in the middle of the night, three in the morning, and oh, she's like, oh, my, mommy, my tummy's sick, my tummy's sick. And next thing you know, her tummy is spilling things out in front of you, like all over you. And you like run to the bathroom. And as she's running, it's just like, like this, this trail of vomit all the way to the bathroom floor. And, and, and you're sitting there for three hours in the middle of the night cleaning up. And you got to be at work at seven in the morning. You don't tell her like, you're out of here, kid. You just messed up. You're gone. No, it's a covenant relationship. Your relationship is not built on what they can give you. Your relationship is built on you surrendering your rights to them. This is what marriage looks like. So marriage doesn't look like us getting something from someone. It looks like us surrendering our rights to someone. Where we say that the needs of the, of the relationship are more important than the needs of the individual. So we can date someone. Or we can, we can, and, and, and understand, I, I've already clarified, but I'm probably going to offend you today, so just be okay. We can date someone or we can live with someone, but without that little thing that you call a piece of paper, the commitment has not been sealed. So the big difference is not whether or not you can be intimate with someone and have sex with someone. The big difference is, can I trust that they will be there tomorrow when I fail. Because here's the difference. Like, I understand that our culture has fallen short on this one. I understand we have broken marriages. I understand that everyone in this room has experienced it. But what I'm telling you is God's ideal is this. That instead of being in a relationship where the moment someone shows us their flaws, we realize I can get a better model we bring this level of commitment into our relationships so that they can open up and show us their flaws and we can help them grow. In fact, I would say it like this, like, like that level of commitment allows for more intimacy. It allows for more intimacy. People would say, well, but you don't understand. I, I, like, I, I've seen a lot of people in their marriage and they just struggle and it's, it's hard. Like, uh, you, you might be somebody that has heard the, the great theologian Chris Rock say something like this. Um, do you want to be single and lonely or do you want to be happy and married? Right, this, this is what the theologian Chris Rock said. And uh, here's the deal. What we do is... We try to come up with this in-between thing where we don't want to be lonely, but we also don't want to be bored. So what we do is we cohabitate or we date somebody, and we think that as, as long as we do that, and we, and we plan on doing it for a long time, it's the same thing as marriage. And it's not. Because marriage is a covenant. And it's based on Commitment. It's based on a commitment to the, to the other person. Uh, when, when, uh, when in a study, uh, and I didn't write down where the study was, I forgot to do that. But it says when, when, when they did the study, it was about, uh, I think it was 100. It's probably the same Pew study I have later. Um, they had uh, over 100 marriages, and they, they asked them, uh, if, 
if they were happy or unhappy in their marriage. And uh, of those couples that said they were unhappy in their marriage, two-thirds of those couples within five years choosing to stay together said that they were then happy in their marriage. So two-thirds of the couples that said, I'm not happy in my marriage, but they stuck it out for five years. Within five years, they said, yes, I am happy in my marriage. And the reason for that is this, is that suffering, <laughs> suffering brings depth. Uh, like, like if you want your life to have meaning and depth, you will need to suffer through some things. And if you want your marriage to have some depth, walk through some hard times and stick with somebody, even though you're frustrated with them. And it will bring a level of depth and intimacy that, that great times cannot bring. <clears throat> Your marriage vows are not that you would love them so long as they uh, provide you the kind of sex you're looking for. Marriage vows are not, I will love you so long as you provide me the kind of lifestyle I want. Marriage vows are not, I will love you so long as you are healthy. Marriage vows are, I'm going to love you even if you mess up and fall off the bandwagon. Like, I'm going to choose to love you even if you do things that disappoint me. I'm going to ch choose to love you even through times when we're poor, times when we're wealthy. And because there's a level of commitment there, a commitment, trust, knowing that they're going to stay with you even if you gain 20 pounds, that brings intimacy because now you can actually be vulnerable with somebody because you know they're going to be with you. They're going to be with you. So the, the purpose, uh, <clears throat> let me go back. I'm just going to say this. This one's going to step on someone's toes. Get ready. If he says to you that he's committed, because men struggle with this more than women. Men struggle with commitment. Uh, there's, there's been studies on it that prove it. And the reason men study, struggle with commitment is because men are looking for the perfect soulmate. They're looking for the perfect one that matches them just right. And, and when you drill down on what that means, it, it usually means two things, one of two things. It usually means uh, physical, appearance, physical appearance and sexual chemistry is what they really mean by a soulmate, which is like the most shallow. We're, we're super shallow. We're super shallow. Um, like, I'm just looking for my soulmate. But, but here's the deal. Like, if, if he says he loves you and he's committed to you, but he's just not wanting to marry you, like, here, here uh, maybe I'll speak to the guy. What you're really saying, gentlemen, and when you say, I love you, but I don't want to marry you, what you're really saying is, uh, I, I love you, but not enough to marry you. I'm committed to you, but not enough to commit to you. What you're really saying is like, I love you, but not enough to lose my independence. I love you, but not enough to bind myself to you. I love you, but not enough to surrender my rights to you. You're saying, I love you, but not enough to marry you. I told you I was going to step on toes. <laughs> Sorry. But if we don't talk about it in the church, who does talk about it? The purpose of your marriage is not for sexual gratification. It's not passion. It's not, not emotion. That's not the purpose of your marriage. According to the Christian ethic, the purpose of marriage is a deep character change that happens when two best friends come together. 
Like that's the purpose of, of a marriage is, is we could say it like this. Mar- the purpose of marriage is holiness that develops in our life when we are connected to someone else who is also imperfect. Like two gems together in, in one of those tumblers. They're, they're being polished and they're growing. Independent, they're sharp and bumpy, but together they get polished by bumping into each other into beautiful pieces of art. I know that's happened in my marriage. Like, like we, at the beginning of my marriage, like I thought, like I was going to be the man. I was going to make all the decisions, and she'd say, like, "Where do you want to go eat?" I'd be like, "We're going to go eat at Dickies, right? That's the best place to go eat, Dickies." And she'd say, like, "Where do you want to go eat?" And I'd be like, "Oh, we're going to go watch the next X Men movie. It's going to be amazing." Where do you want? What kind of music you want to listen to? Like, I, we're listening to '80s music. Like, it's coming back. That's that's what we're doing. We're we're listening to '80s and early '90s all day long. And then one day she's like, "Ah, you make all the decisions." And I was like, "Okay, and never make a decision again." <laughs> don't you realize she was trailing you along the whole time? She's like, why don't you make this decision? You make this decision. You make this decision. You make this decision. You make all the decisions. Now I get to make all the decisions. That's genius is what that is. She's, she's nobody's fool. Don't, don't be confused. She knows what she's doing. <clears throat> this is like my wife and I, like every single Sunday after church, our conversation looks something like this. Like, hey, where would you like to go eat? My answer is... Dickies, like everything, like uh, you guys know, you guys know the will of the Lord. And I was like, like, we're going to Dickies. She'd be like, I'll go anywhere but Dickies. And I'm like, well, where do you want to go? She wants to go to one of these places that sell quinoa, like that. What in the world is, why would you eat quinoa when you could have brisket on bread? I know the word of the Lord is strong today, brethren. And we'll be there eating quinoa and like fruit and stuff. And I'm, I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. Like, Where's my sunglasses? She's like, oh, they're in my purse. Like everything I own is secretly like it appears in her purse. If I lose something, like it's going to be in her purse. Like where'd my, where'd my baseball bag go? It's in her purse. So I'll be somewhere eating quinoa. Like what, where in the, where, like where's my wallet? She's like, oh, it's right here in my purse. Like, oh my goodness. Like. Where's my cell phone? It's right here. In my, finally, I get like frustrated. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to Dickie's and I'm going to have some good food. Get ready to leave. She's like, have fun. I got your keys. <laughs> she's smarter than you, right? Like she's smarter. This is what marriage does. Marriage, marriage gets two people together that are both perfectly. And as they, if I didn't have the commitment level. Instead, it would stay on a, on a, on a different level. It would stay on a what I might call it more shallow and physical level. So there's plenty of studies that show that it is, um, it is this idea that we're looking for a perfect mate. We're looking for someone that perfectly completes us. And that's why we don't commit. Because there's somebody out there that completes me. No, there's nobody out there that completes you. There's no perfect mate. Like, I don't care who you date, who you marry, whatever. They're going to be a problem. <laughs> so last service, I said this, and my wife's on the front row. She's like, amen, brother, preach it. I was like, simmer down, girl. Don't tell everybody our business. 
It doesn't matter who you marry. They're going to have struggles. They're going to have problems, and you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to work through it. So if what's holding you back is you're like, I don't know if they're the right one. No one is the right one. No one is the right person. Uh, The truth is, is that we are all flawed people. This is what Christians believe. We believe that we are all sinful people. That we all at our core, at our root, we are all selfish people that don't get it right all the time. This is why we can have grace for each other because we know we're not right. Because inside of you, you may be single and you think, no, I'm I'm perfect. I'm good. Cool. You be perfect and good. But I guarantee you deep down inside you somewhere, there's somebody that's fearful, that's, that's ridden with anxiety, or maybe someone that's proud and they're super selfish. Or maybe inside of you, there's somebody that's very all about perfection and you're very critical. Or maybe you're impatient. And because of that, you become super irritable all the time. Or maybe you're super timid and that reveals itself as this passive aggression every time you have a conversation. Or maybe you're cowardly and you twist the truth all the time. But you will never know those things about you until God puts another gem in your world that bounces against you and says, hey, you got an issue. We need to work through it to get better. All right. I'm trying. The truth is we all have flaws, but for many of us, it just hasn't sunk in yet. This is why we need commitment because commitment locks us into this relationship where our flaws are able to be dealt with rather than the option to run the moment the flaws reveal themselves. Here's the deal. Like, friendship never develops out of physical intimacy. Like, like physical chemistry does not create friendship. But friendship produces physical chemistry. Does that make sense? Because I, I remember, like, when I was in high school, my, my uh, I, I remember walking into school one day, this is, this is probably eighth grade, junior high, junior high, eighth grade, walking in and seeing this fine girl in the lunchroom. I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> you fine. We used to say fly, she a fly. Walk across the room, like, oh, yes, get over to her, I'm like, Hey, my name is Roger. What's your name? She's like, no, I'm English. <laughs> she was an exchange student. You know what I mean? Like, she, she, like there was a lot of chemistry. I was like, ah, yes, the Lord is good. <clears throat> no chemistry because there's never going to be a relationship because no hablo English. What I'm saying is, like, there's got to be more to your relationship than this idea that, oh, like, as as long as I'm physical and as long as I'm doing all the things that that I think are married, then that's married. It's not. Commitment is the difference. Locking in is the difference. Here's, uh, you know, we always want to have, like, a a Proverbs 31 wife, but but you got to understand, the author of Proverbs didn't just talk about a Proverbs 31 wife who was this virtuous woman that had it all together. Like, Proverbs is very real. Like, there's also the Proverbs 21 wife. It says, better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> Ten verses later, it says, better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Ha, ha, ha. 
I'm like, you know someone was having a bad day when they wrote that down. <laughs> and if they weren't, they were about to. You know what I mean? Here's what it says in chapter 27. It says, a quarrelsome wife is like a dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Ah! Why would the writer of, uh, of Proverbs say that? Is it because he's sexist and he's mean? No, it's because he understands something. We all have struggles. And whoever you marry is eventually going to, like men, whoever you marry, eventually she's going to seem like a dripping roof. <laughs> and that's normal. And that's good because it will affect you. It will change what's going on inside your world. You will learn to be a better person because that's who she needs when she's like that. It grows us. It makes us holy. It develops our lives. Here's what Stanley uh, Haros from Duke University says. The assumption is that someone is out there that is just right for us to marry. And we look closely enough. Uh, and if we look closely enough, we will find that just right person. This assumption overlooks a very critical aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that you always marry the wrong person. We never know who we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a little while and he or she will change for marriage is this big, enormous thing and it makes the person different once they have entered it. One of the primary challenges of marriage is learning to love and care for the stranger that you often find yourself married to. There's no perfect person out there. There's only a perfect God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, this mystery, he's speaking of marriage between a man and woman. He says, this mystery is, a pro, is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He, he, he's talking about the mystery of marriage. And then he says, the mystery of marriage has to do with the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Um, he says this, he's saying, he's saying this whole idea of, of marriage and commitment, it's really about more than just commitment and marriage. It's really about how God is committed to the church. Uh, like you realize, you realize the church is not a building. You realize the church is not an organization. The church is people. Church is people. And he's saying that this level of commitment is, is it's an example for us of God's commitment to us. <clears throat> it says this in the next verse. So it says, it says, wives, respect your husbands. And all the husbands be like, yay, amen. I'm kidding. It also says, husbands, love your wives. But 1 Peter chapter 3 says this in verse 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Two things there. The first is this. When it says weaker partners, it does not mean that women are less than men. It's talking about the difference between a clay pot and fine china. It's saying one is weaker because it's more delicate and it is, it is fine. One you can take to the job site because it's a thermos flask. 
a bunch of thermos flasks, all acting like thermos flasks, and then you get around a fine china, and the fine china says, I don't like that. <laughs> she says, I'm saying, amen, listen, listen to him. Listen to the, listen to the preacher preach today, somebody. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, I forgot where I was. But it's this idea of, he says this, he says, he says, know that she's heirs with you in this gracious gift of God. And then it says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husband, you disrespecting your wife is a cause for your prayers to not be answered. Why doesn't God hear my prayers? It could be that you're not showing respect to your spouse. <clears throat> so what does it mean? Respect. It means you, you show honor. You assign honor to someone. Like, like this, is, this is the idea that we show honor. We give honor where honor is due. And, and we treat uh, men, we treat women with honor. We treat them with dignity. And this is, this is important, especially in a culture where, where really women are not treated with dignity. Uh, and back to the Super Bowl. This is, this is the biggest event where there is human trafficking in the world. Single event. Big, largest human trafficking event is the Super Bowl. And for the halftime show, we have women with no clothes on. What kind of message are we sending to people? No, but it's okay. No, no it's not Okay. We show honor. We, we show respect. And respect is not a cultural thing that they just do in the South, like chivalry in the South. No, respect is a biblical thing. I had, I had one, one, one female was like. Because <laughs> <laughs> here's the deal. Here's the deal. Sorry. Here's the deal. If you're not careful, what you do will teach your kids They'll sh you'll show your kids things that you wish you didn't show them. Yeah. Uh, so what this looks like for me, I, when I was young, I, 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 was, uh, I, I was still a young dad. I had uh, my, my oldest was, he was probably four or five. He was old enough to talk and old enough to know better. And, um, and I remember we took him to the movie theater. Now we were broke, right? So like we, we went to the movie theater. So uh, we went to the movie and after we got out of the movie, I, I thought like, oh, let's do the, the thing we used to do in college, which is like just sneak to another m movie, right? Like, like anybody else ever broke and he didn't know? Just me. I'm the only, only reprobate in the house that's ever watched two movies on the bill for one movie. And so I, I get ready to go watch a second movie and my son's like, dad. He's like five years old. Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> You're a preacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he didn't say that, but he did say this. He did say, dad, that's stealing. Uh, <laughs> it is stealing. It is. It, it is stealing. And so like, so I was like, I can't, because I was doing something, like I was doing something that I, when I was, a, when I was young and in, in college, I thought it was like, okay, because if you're broke, everything's okay, right? And, and, and then, but what I was doing is I was showing my son something that I really didn't want to show him. Yeah. I think one of the greatest places for us to understand this idea of respect is before I say that, I'll say this. All this talk about marriage. If you're single and you're like, why did I come today? 
it's because the greatest thing you can give to your life is marriage. In fact, you probably need this message more than the married people. But the greatest way we show respect, let me rephrase that, probably the greatest way we don't show respect in our culture is pornography. Some of us, you you might not realize this, but it's more than a pastime. It's a sin that is like a cancer to your soul. It's more than an activity to do when you're bored. It, it's something that is robbing you of the beauty that's inside of you and that is with you in life, meaning it's, it'll rob you of the beauty of your spouse. Somebody right now is probably thinking, like, why in the world did the preacher just talk about pornography? Here's why. Because there's, there's not a more relevant topic for me to talk about in the church than pornography. Like, I grew up in an age where, like, if you wanted to watch, if you want to look at dirty pictures, like, we would go steal them from the gas station. That's how we did it. Today, you don't have to go, like, steal it from the gas station and end up getting arrested from the cops. And, like, parents are like, hey, what did you steal? And you're like, I don't <laughs> Like, you do what? That's not the day we live in anymore. We live in a day and age where everyone, if they want access to, to illicit pictures, it is one click away on your cell phone. That goes with you everywhere you go. And, and I'm telling you, like, it, I, I know that 100% of the people in this room have like, at some level, whether intentionally or unintentionally, seen stuff that, that, was, that was graphic. And, and here's what I'm saying is it is not good for your soul and it does not cultivate respect in your marriage. When we look at pornography, we're teaching ourselves that a real human body is not good enough. We're teaching ourselves that one human body is not good enough. And men, we're teaching ourselves that our wife's body is not good enough. There's people that are trying to figure out, like, how come I can't break this thing? You're sitting here today, like, that, that's cool. Like, I agree with what you're saying, preacher. Like, I want this out of my life, but why can't I control this thing? And and what I'm going to tell you is this, it is an addiction. It's probably one of the strongest addictions that we've encountered, especially since the access to it is so readily available. There's this myth that says, no, like pornography doesn't hurt anybody. It's a, there's nobody getting sick. Like nobody, nobody's getting messed up from it. And here's what, like, here's what I want to tell you. Like in World War II, they thought they were helping the soldiers by taking dump truck loads of cigarettes and backing them into the military camps and dumping dump truck loads of cigarettes out so that all the World War II vets are just puffing like smokestacks. And guess what? Just a few years later, we started calling them cancer sticks. The studies are coming out now about what the effect that this does have on your body. It has a physical effect on your body. It is, it is literally rewiring the human brain. In a TED Talk by Philip Zimbardo, it's a TED Talk called The Demise of Guys, Why Our Boys Are Failing. So talking about why, the, why the, our generation of boys are not doing well, he says this, he says, there are men now who cannot distinguish the difference between making love and pornography. They don't understand that there's a difference because marriage is just a piece of paper. 
boys, according to his study, boys today are, are watching 15 videos a week. And I would say that that number is false. I'd say that's sandbagged incredibly. I would say it's probably closer to 15 a day. It's a $15 billion industry. And for the most part, operating off of the back of slaves. For every 400 videos that are made in Hollywood, there are 11,000 pornos. So what's, what's wrong with that, preacher? What I'm saying is it's creating something in our culture called a social intensity syndrome. It's an epidemic with our kids. It's the reason our kids can't stay focused. It's the reason why our, our, our kids are like, just like seem scattered all the time because they have a thing called an addiction to arousal. This is why, this is why we, get, we get all sidetracked. It's called an arousal addiction. It's this idea that the only thing that will satisfy that desire is arousal. It's not the same thing as an addiction to cigarettes. It's not the same thing as an addiction to cocaine. Like, if, you, if you're hooked on heroin, you, take, you get some heroin, and guess what? Your, your fix is satisfied. When you have an arousal addiction, when you get your fix it only satisfies you to the degree that it is different from what you previously experienced. So the addiction isn't to pornography itself, it's to the sense of being aroused, which is constantly numbed by viewing things. This is the reason why video games today are, the, are, are like these open-ended worlds, because our, our, our young people are addicted to arousal. They're, they're, they, they don't want to play the same game over again and, and complete the game. They want an infinite world with infinite possibilities because the addiction is to the arousal, not to the actual thing. And it changes the way we think. And we wonder how we're supposed to have a healthy relationship with a real human being when we're addicted to things that are crazy and outside of the realm of possibility. Okay. A drug addiction, you want more drugs. An arousal addiction, you want something different. I want you to know this, that if you're single today, all your needs can be met by your spouse. All your desires can be met by your spouse. And I'm saying that the way to get there is to start right now by conquering it. How do I conquer it, preacher? <clears throat> Maybe somebody's married. He's like, how do I conquer it? I've been struggling with it since I was 13. I'm not going to explain the whole cycle, but I will explain this part of the cycle. In a sexual addiction, there is a thing called a, um, a ritual. And so what happens is somebody that, that has a sexual addiction will always do a ritual before they go there. So for like a some sort of child predator that may be driving around for days on end, not really knowing why they're driving around, but they're driving around. There's a ritual. But for someone that's got a, a, an issue with something like, like pornography, what, what's going on? There's going, to be an, there's going to be a ritual. And if you stop long enough and think about it on your own time, I don't want anybody to be like, hey, this is mine. But there's going to be a ritual. And, and that ritual might be 
closing certain blinds in the house. That ritual might be checking the door. That ritual might be uh, taking out the phone. The ritual might be, uh, it, it might be whatever. But if you pause and think, there is something that you do every single time before you do it. And once that, that arousal has started, you're not going to be able to stop what's going on. But if you can address the ritual, so the moment you catch yourself closing blinds, you go and open every blind instead. So the moment you start to lock yourself in a door, you go get in your car and you go downtown. You bust it at the ritual. All right. I'm trying to help somebody. So here's, the band can come because this is a great altar call moment. <laughs> hey, next week's going to be good. I'm going to have my wife up here and she's super fun and hot. Listen, here's the secret to marriage, guys. The secret to marriage is this. It's loving your spouse during seasons when you're not getting very much love back. That's the secret. It's choosing to love them even when you don't feel like they're prioritizing you. It won't take long for you to understand this. Someday he's going to get sick. The secret to marriage is saying, I'm going to love him. And I want to tell somebody, if, if you sitting here and, and you're hearing me say, like, you're not good enough because you've had a divorce, absolutely not. Probably most of the people in the room have experienced that. What I'm saying is this, like, God's desire for us is better. I'm saying God's desire is better. God's plan is better. And so from this day forward, we can change. The secret is saying, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to be faithful and committed to this person. When she goes in a dark hole and is depressed, I'm going to choose. I'm going to just love her. When she doesn't have any emotional margin to give back to me, I'm still going to love her. When he gets so overcome with struggles at work and he, he seems like he's in a different planet every day and he comes home frustrated, I'm still going to love him even though he's like emotionally, I'm just going to love him because you know what? Our Right now is not the goal. The goal is that we're going to spend a lifetime together. And as we spend a lifetime together, God is going to shape us and mold us. And the things inside of me that need to change, she's going to be the one to help me change those things. And he's going to be the one to be able to see the things inside of me and pull out the potential and change the things inside of me. So would you stand with me all across the room? Jesus, we sure do love you. We don't want anyone but you. Lord, I pray that today, speaking to the marriages, that you would mend our marriages. God, that somebody would embrace the idea of commitment, and that they would choose to love someone that is emotionally on another page right now, that they choose to be there when someone reveals their pains and their weaknesses. Lord, that we would choose not to run when things get scary because we know you have a plan for us. God, I pray for the single people in this room right now. Lord, that you transform our hearts, that we would desire to experience your love through a thing called commitment. 
Lord, that our lives would be transformed by surrendering them to you. Because we're not looking for another. We're looking for you. Thank you, Jesus. Keep your heads bowed, every eyes closed. Listen, I know this is a, a very different message. But if you're in the room today and you're like, you know what I need? That commitment piece for me. I just need a commitment with Jesus. I need a commitment with Jesus. In fact, I just need to surrender my life to him. If that's you, nobody else is looking around. Their heads are all down. Would you put your hand up so I can see it? Just put your hand up. There we go. I see that. I see that all across the room. Come on. It's good. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent. We're going to believe. So repent means we're going to turn away from the way we think or behave. And then we're going to believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for everything that holds us back from God. Right now, Jesus, forgive me. God, I repent. I don't want to think the way I used to think. and I don't want to do those things that I've been doing that I know don't please you. So right now, Lord, I'm, I'm turning away from those things. I'm rejecting those things. God, I'm asking that you'd be the Lord of my life. I'm putting all my hope and all my trust in the finished work of Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for everything that holds me back from God. So right now, I trust that Jesus is my answer. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Be my God. Listen, folks, they just made the best decision of their, their lives. Like there's no better decision you could make than a decision that says, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Let's give them a hand. Good job. Good job. Let's worship the Lord together. Thanks again for listening to the message today. I know God has been speaking to some of you, working in your life, and I want to encourage you to take the next step. Respond to what God is doing. And if you're not sure what that is, bring someone into the conversation. We would love to help you with your next steps. You can email us, reach out to us on social media, or better yet, just come meet us on a Sunday morning. If you want to find out more, go to our website, thecelebration.church. On that note, let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.